As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, thanks for checking in for another episode of the Low Limit Cash Games podcast where we talk about primarily low limit, one, two, one, three type levels, um, cash games in a live setting at your local casino or poker room. We will occasionally drift off into online stuff. We did that especially at the early part of the pandemic, so nothing is really off the table. But I really started this podcast to focus on something that I don't see a lot of content out there on. Well, you can find tons of content about crushing uh you know 2550 or 200 400 and what these amazing um, nosebleed stakes pros do and all this stuff but um while there is some content of people that play you know play or have played a lot of one two one three i don't see a ton of it out there with one caveat i don't see a ton of it that's all that great i'm just gonna be honest now is this all that great i don't know um you know I'm not a uh, nosebleed poker player. I do well at one two one three. I play a lot of two five. Two five is really my super comfort zone. I like that because you have kind of the softness of the one three, but it's at higher stakes. Once you move into five ten, you just find that there's it's still beatable games, but you just find tougher players, bigger bankroll swings. Obviously, it's more profitable, but um, it's just a little bit tougher not to crack. That being said, I do play, you know, a fair amount of five ten as well. I really like two five though. I really do. Two five is a good sweet spot for me. But yeah, I still find myself at the one two one three games a lot. So that being said, follow us on social media, um, Low Limit Cash Games. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, and that's a way that you can message us, and we would love to hear from you there, good or bad. And I've now had two hate-filled messages <laughs> so i guess we've arrived right uh, i don't claim to be the best poker player ever i don't claim to be the best poker teacher ever i don't claim that i um am in, in any way remarkable i just do okay at poker and i play at a level that i don't see a lot of decent content on and so i decided to throw my hat in the ring because i'm a lifelong c content guy Spent many years in radio, spent many years in marketing, created a, actually an online business that I actually sold for a hefty amount of money and retired. And um, Now we only play poker. This would be the second time I'm, in my life that I've quote unquote just played poker for money. I wouldn't necessarily call it a living now because I'm retired with the, uh, you know, hefty amounts of investments and, and things like that. But uh, at a previous time in my life, 04, 05, I did play for a living in 06, so... Uh, been there, done that, and uh, oh boy, those are great times. Nevertheless, I've I've got distracted. Let's jump in and talk about some poker, shall we? 
So after last week's episode posted, literally within a few hours, um, you know, I got some messages asking questions about um, other possible areas of the game tree um, that I didn't cover in this hand. So we had used a specific hand, and we had talked about um, it's not really way ahead, way behind, but but. Uh, again, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you really should go back and listen to it first. Um, but it's not a requirement. You can listen to this one first. But we talked about how, you know, when you're ahead, but you're not... In other words, you know, you know, you didn't flop quads. You didn't flop the full house. You didn't flop the nut flush. You know, you flopped top pair. You know, good kicker. Um, but there are hands that beat you, and especially the more money that goes in the pot. And this is a concept that people don't understand. If, if I could get you to understand... You know, three or four really basic concepts that it doesn't take a genius to understand to get better at poker is that generally speaking, when more and more money is being piled into a pot, somebody has a really good hand. And so, you know, if you don't have a set and somebody's piling money in like they do have a set, sometimes they're going to have the set. You know, and if you're in there with one pair, well, don't get me wrong, one pair is a great hand, especially when you have a great kicker. It's a hand you want to be extracting value with, but you're just not nutted. And so it requires some finesse based, one, on board texture, and two, on the player that you're playing. And so um, last week's episode really delved into that deeply, and we're going to use the same hand example and talk about... Um, bet sizing when you're not in the situation that we covered last week, which was, I mean, we talked about several things. We talked about playing your range and, and what your range would want you to do in certain situations. So we got a little bit into that. Um, we didn't jump too often to the nutted side of it. And at, we didn't really talk at all about the bluff side of it. So we'll cover that a little bit today. So to recap, if you did or didn't listen to last week's episode, we're talking about you, the hero, with ace-queen on an ace-king-king-five board. So we've got the flop is ace-king-five, turn king. Okay, so when you when you hit the flop, you're in pretty good shape. Um, there are two suits on board, though. There's two clubs. So you got two clubs. You got an ace, a king, and a five, and you have ace-queen. So you're, you know, you have a good hand. You want to be extracting value. Um, the nuts of the hand, the nutted portion of the hand does change on the turn um, when a second king comes up. So we talked a lot about that last week. This week we want to talk about, you know, what would you do when you're super nutted? And so what does super nutted mean? Well, on this particular flop of ace-king-5 with two clubs, super nutted would be pocket aces, Pocket kings, pocket fives, and ace king. Now, ace king obviously isn't quite in the same level as the sets, right? Top, middle, and bottom set. But it's still really strong because it blocks, has strong blocking properties of top and middle set. You, you have strong blocking properties of, of sets of aces and sets of kings. Uh, the same amount of sets of fives exist. So, you're still, you know, pretty nutted, but not as nutted as sets. 
And then on the other hand, you have uh, bluffing ranges. You know, depending on how preflop action was, we're going to assume that you're in a situation where you do have a fair amount of uh, bluffing range here. So what what would that look like? Um, well, just, just let me back up just a second. I left ace, uh, ace five out, which would also be reasonably nutted. You block sets of aces, sets of fives. Uh, you know, sets of kings still is out there as uh, more nutted, but you again you have the blockers, two sets of uh, fives and sets of aces with your with your two pair aces over fives. Sorry, left that one out. So, so what would a bluffing range look like on this? Um, you know, obviously clubs involved. Um, queen ten of clubs. Um, queen jack of clubs. Um, those would be huge, uh, as in that you have the Broadway draw uh, and the flush draw. There's also some flush draws out there. Seven six um, comes to mind. Um, less powerful would be the upper ends of that, like the ten nines. Um, still, hand you could bluff with. You uh, still have back doors for Broadway with ten nine, and along with your flush draw. So, these are kind of the hands you would be more likely to kind of run to some kind of a bluff with. Um, you can think a little bit about hands that aren't great but have blocking qualities. So, you know, any hand with a queen in it, you block ace, queen, king, queen. So, that's something you can keep in mind. Hands with a jack in it blocks it has blocking properties for ace, jack, and king, jack. So this further helps you eliminate some of that from your opponent's range. It could lead to some creative um, bluffing opportunities, whether it be on the flop or perhaps after you evaluate uh, flop action and you get a favorable turn that could um, lead you to a position where you would want to uh, try to take down the pot. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're not thinking about all these things, when you're in a hand, um, it's really hard to do when you first start trying it. It's really hard to not just say, "God, man, I got ace queen on ace king five. I, I got a great hand here. I should bet it." And there's a lot of players where that is as far as their thought process goes. They never advanced past that. Other than, man, I got ace, I got ace queen on ace king five, and and uh, you know I. You know, I raised and got called preflop, or he raised and I, and uh, you know, I I bet and he come back. So you know, he's he, he's strong as well. But I, I could be behind Ace King, but he probably doesn't have a set of aces, and you know, I'm still pretty strong here. Blah 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 blah. I'm ahead of what queens. I'm ahead of jacks. I'm ahead of tens. You know, all these type thoughts. Other than those rud rudimentary thoughts. You know, the average player at one, two, one, three, even two, five, they just aren't thinking beyond that. One of the best things that you can do is learn to start looking at every board and try to evaluate not only incentives of your hand, which is really a good, straightforward, easy way to go, and, it, and that's very important. Also, try to start thinking a little bit about your range here. Try to figure out based on where you're at, the preflop action, 
What led you to the flop? What range of cards do you retain? And how do they interact with the board? So, GTO gets thrown around a lot. Nobody plays GTO because, one, you don't have absolute information. You don't know your opponent's range. We can try to guess our opponent's range. We can try to narrow our opponent's range. But especially at 1, 2, and 1, 3, you can try, and you need to try. But you know, where you're in a group of reasonable players and, and the 4-7 offsuit is it would not be in anybody's range, and the board flop comes 7-7-4, seven, seven, a lot of times at 1-2, no matter what the pre-flop action was, there's some guy in that game whose pre-flop range includes 7-4. Um, again, you can't necessarily account for that. It's kind of an outlier. Um, but you should always be trying to range your opponents. But why is GTO not a thing? Because you, you always have incomplete information no matter how well you range your opponents. So that's number one. Once you don't know what their range is, if you, you know, the closer you can get it, the better. Let's say there's only two, three combos that you that you miss. Well, these these solvers and things are, are going to get you pretty close to a, a GTO-type solution um, with specific bet sizes. And this is things people don't understand. You know, these solvers solve for one or two or three bet sizes. Man, uh, poker, Hold'em in particular, such a compliment complicated game where you could have um a range nobody knows and isn't predictable and you could have infinite bet sizes and solvers can't solve for that so look people don't have infinite size bets people generally kind of bet a half pot two-thirds pot pot <laughs> it's kind of what's out there the one-third pot was and is as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply still kind of really popular you're seeing one quarter pot becoming really popular in certain scenarios now so you know max scenario we're looking at maybe four maybe really three really popular bet sizes and then a couple of outliers which would be the quarter pot and the you know the over bet the one and a half pot or two two x pot type thing but solvers can't solve for infinite bets and so you know for, for that reason gto will never be perfect uh, well, not just that reason, but that's one reason. The other reason is that we're humans and we can, we can never uh, take actions at frequencies that A, we can't memorize, and B, we can't solve for on the fly live. And there's several different ways you can do frequencies at a table. You can do the old look at your watch thing. You can, you know, do, look at your chip face and have it be a watch face and shuffle through some chips and see where the 
point on the chip lands and you know there's things you can do but again even when you're doing that to your best you're just you're just never going to be a computer so i'm not discounting gto what i'm saying is i really prefer to use the phrase being more balanced you should always strive to be more balanced because you'll never be perfect which is what gto is and so when you're thinking about flops and things and uh, bet sizes and stuff you always need to to have in your mind try to picture in your mind the seesaw of what it is you're wanting to accomplish what it is you're wanting to convey to your opponent and what it is that makes uh, you make profit and them make mistakes where it's really hard for them to play you and what makes it really hard for people to play you is when you do a lot of the same things with different kinds of hands with proper bet sizing and trust me when I tell you this is this is way too complicated for any one or two episodes of a podcast. But I but once you you can start thinking about it in those terms, you can start getting there. You know, you can start getting there. You first have to start thinking about it. So let's go back to our hand again. We have Ace Queen uh, offsuit, by the way, and I I believe yes, our specific holding was um, you know two red aces offsuit, so a diamond and a heart. Um, so we have two clubs on the ace king five flop and the king is red. So, you know, just provided we were in a position, uh, just say we were raised called from, uh, pretty much any position, but earlier position gives us a little bit more of these ranges, but you have all of that. Our middle position actually gives you a super full uh, complement of these type hands we talked about earlier. We have the suited broadways where you have broadway draws now and flush draws. You have a lot of those. You can have all the sets. You know, if you're, um, you know, six or seven handed where most live places now are between six and eight handed, um, you know, opening pocket fives under the gun is, is just not crazy. Uh, when you go back full nine handed or some of these rooms that play ten handed, uh, you know, I just don't think I'm opening pocket fives under the gun in a 10-handed game all that much. It's just, it's just so hard to realize there. And then if you limp, which a lot of people try, can you develop a limping strategy? Maybe. But I digress. It's not the point of this podcast. You want to uh, uh, come up with a plan that, that would cover different sets of scenarios so that your opponent never knows. Does he have the set of aces? Does he have the set of fives? Does he have the set of kings? Or does he have the draw? And so one of the ways that I like to do what's called range splits is that I like to uh, pair up and, and trust me my my methodology is just a super way dumbed down simplified version of what these you know gto masters do there's there's some people out there that you know they aren't perfect gto because again they're human and all things i listed bef- before man they got these frequencies down and they know all this stuff i'm just I, i'm not there i don't know that i'll ever be there but i tr- do try to be balanced and one of my balances is i like to do super nutted hands and balance them with my draws. And draws can be broken down into a couple of areas. Uh, draws that are on the more, not nutted, but uh, on the showdown end of draws. And then uh, draws that aren't. And so, um, when I have a showdown hand type of draw, let's say, let's say I flop a flush draw and I have ace-king, Right? Um, I don't have to get super crazy bluffy with that because I have the nut no pair with the ace king. 
And, um, you know, I have a lot of cards that can come and give me the nuts. And even if I don't get the nuts, I still depend, you know, especially if I'm heads up with somebody, I could still win at showdown. So I may not get crazy with that. But on the other hand, if for some reason I'm in there with the, uh, you know, the seven, six suited and I don't flop a straight draw and, um, there's over cards and I just have the flush draw, my incentive with that hand is to just try to take it down. Okay. Because I don't have showdown value. I'm not going to get to the river and showdown seven, six, you know, seven high and win. So there's more incentive to get your opponent to fold. Um, if you can, you know, if it's possible. And so I like to pair those type draws. Another good, another good, uh, example that's a gut shot. Like, um, Boy, I used to be a person that did not play gut shots. I just didn't play them. Now I play them a lot. One, they're super hidden. So when they get there, you get paid. And two, if you're in a position where you can fire off in a balanced manner, you know, where gut shots is in your in, is in your drilling, you know, flop turn river range along with sets of aces, sets of kings, and sets of fives, um, and you're doing proper bet sizing, you're going to be super profitable and your opponent isn't going to have a clue what's going on. Or opponents, and that and that becomes the value of uh, playing in a balanced manner. So when I'm looking at the incentives um, of the hand I have, and my range, and the nutted hands I have versus the bluffing hands I have, you know, you want to make a, a bet size um, that kind of achieves the goal that you have. Now. Here's where we're going to come into a little bit of uh, uh, area where it's not necessarily black and white for me. I'm not saying there isn't a black and white answer out there. Um, there was for about two months where I did a lot of super large betting in this particular range split. So let's say on this board I had a set of kings or a set of fives. Um I would uh, fire pretty heavily, uh, you know, 60 to 75% pot, along with my draws, I would also bet, you know, 60 to 70% pot. And then I moved for about a month or two, uh, I did the opposite on the flop, where I would, you know, let's say I had the set of kings or set of fives on this ace-king-five flop. And, um, you know, in my range was also some uh, flush draws, etc. Or maybe it was a flop where I had a, a flush draw or a gutter or something. Um, I would fire the, uh, you know, the 30 or 35% pot. And I got to tell you, I think they, for me, in my experience, they kind of worked pretty equally to the point that I then uh, ch uh, merged that balance type play and combined it with an exploitive strategy where, um, you know, I'd be firing, but I would base my size on the opponent I was facing. If it was an opponent that was, you know, more likely to fold, um, I would go uh, with the larger size uh, right off the bat. So, you know, the 60 to 70% or whatever. On the other hand, if it was a really sticky opponent who almost always called the flop, I would go with that 30-35% uh, type flop bet. And then on the turn, I would jack it up and fire, you know, 
And um, what this does is it allows you to rather cheaply get it in with these people who may have a hand or may not. Um, and then really kick it up a notch on the turn, which then if they called you really light on the flop, you get them to a turn, you get them to call a larger bet, increase your profit, uh, vice versa. Um, if they have a, uh, you know, more of a nutted hand, um, one, they may raise you on the flop Two, you really learn about it on the turn. Um, so there's, there is some advantages to the split sizing where it's kind of the smaller range on the flop, larger range on the turn. That being said, I think you can take approach where you, you're still balanced, but you're kind of balanced based on the opponent as far as your bet sizing goes. So again, it all goes back to uh, the main thesis of what we talked about in our previous episode, which is, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with your bet sizing? So you're always trying to accomplish some kind of balance. Um, but with specific opponents, you might be trying to accomplish folds more often on the flop, where with other opponents, you might be wanting to uh, lay the groundwork a little more cheaply for a multiple street bluff because you know they're super sticky on the flop. Um, but still with the same balance strategy, if that makes any sense. Notice when I also said uh, balancing out draws with nutted hands and I used set of kings, set of fives as my example there and I didn't use a set of aces. Um, I don't think you would want to implement that strategy with a set of aces because one, you got to think about uh, the properties of your hand specifically your hand sometimes like ranges is fine and and people are i find where people get hung up on the whole uh betting my range aspects to where they completely ignore the exact properties of their hand but if you flop a set of aces here um you don't leave your opponent any really strong hands that they want to continue with uh second pair small bets they'll call Flush draws, depending on the opponent, small bets or large bets. So that's where you kind of need to know your opponent. But you block all the aces except one. There's just one left out there. So what are the odds that they have top pair? So on the other hand, you flop a set of fives. Man, your opponent can have ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, ace-ten. They can have, uh, you know, all the big ace hands. So you can bet really large there. And, and that's not rocket science. It's just kind of uh, pre, if preflop action uh, indicates your opponent has, you know, potentially a large hand in their range, their range is weighted towards bigger hands like that, aces, you know, in particular, or big pairs, and you don't block any of that, but you have a nutted hand that doesn't block any of that. Over the course of the year, the times you get yourself in that situation... While it may not be this specific hand, more times than not, they're going to have big hands to continue with. So you want to pile the money in. And that's a great opportunity to pile money in when you also can balance it out with uh, draws. And again, I like to base the draws on uh, showdown value draws versus uh, draws that don't have showdown value. So... Uh, so the so the person that sent me this message and asked me about this particular part of uh, you know seeing this flop with a hand and not discussing it in the last uh, episode, um, I agree. I, it wasn't necessarily um, 
an oversight on my part. It's just that the, it's just so complex. I, I, I literally could probably do four episodes of the podcast on the. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This one flop in this one hand. <laughs> um, and still not cover it. Well, for mainly for a lot of reasons, because I'm just not, I'm not that knowledgeable. Like, I'm not that good at it. I'm not a GTO balance master. So I'd like to bring in an actual hand that I played, or I, I didn't play, but I was at the table at last night. So we're playing the 510 game. It's an uncapped game. And um, stacks are pretty deep. Um, there is a VIP, quote unquote VIP at the table. He is the person driving the game. Um, I think at this time there was probably two VIPs at the table. Then there was a couple of okay players at the table. And then there was, you know, probably four pretty good players at the table. Um, stacks are pretty deep. Uh, for example, I think at that particular time I was sitting on about 4,000. Um, the two players involved in the hand were both about 2,000 deep. I want to say when all the money went in, the shortest stack, I think, had 1,700. So that was the effective stack was 1,700. But the flop comes uh, ace, ace, seven, five, I think. So this VIP player will call raises with a lot of hands. They just call with a lot of hands. And they will call with a lot of draws. Like they'll uh, call you a lot with second pair. They'll call you a lot with bottom pair. They'll call you with gut shots. They'll call you with flush draws. You know, any kind of draw they'll call you with. But as usual, these guys, once they get aggressive, they got something. Right? They got something, something, something. So, the solid... I'll call him a tag player. I don't think they play very balanced. Um, I, he's a winning player for sure. Um, I don't think he was the best player at the table. I don't think he was in the... Maybe he's in the top three. He's in the top four. I think myself and another gentleman at the table are probably the... In, in terms of being balanced and having a good, solid, overall balanced strategy, probably us two and then, then a couple of tags would probably be the two... Uh, well, no, he was the tag. The other guy was, uh, I don't think I'd call him a tag, but he's a winning player. Nevertheless, it's neither here or there. So the two players get it in. Their head's up on the flop. They don't get it in, but, but they lock heads, and it's heads up to a flop. And the, the flop comes like A7-5. 
And um, uh, Tag Player leads pretty big. He leads like, uh, I want to say he leads big, as he should. Um, with his range, there's an ace-high flop. He's, uh, you know, he's raised pre-flop. He's shown that he has a big hand. Aces are a big part of that. And he has a, uh, you know, basically a call-in station, a VIP call-in station type player on the line. And so you want to start extracting money, and you you know that he'll call, and this guy will. I mean, he'll call ridiculous bets with crazy weak hands. Um, so he does fire, and our uh, you know VIP guy calls, and the turn comes a seven, another seven. So now we have an ace five seven seven board. Tag player leads again. Flop is, you know, I mean, pot is pretty hefty at this point. And he leads for, you know, pretty big. I want to say it was like 100% pot. If it wasn't, it was close. It was 80 to 100% pot. And our VIP guy raises him. And uh, with hardly any thought at all, tag player shoves all in for the 1700. And crazily enough to his credit the vip guy tanked for probably i want to say it was a minute and a half it was a really long tank and he kept saying man you gotta have pocket aces here there's no other hand you would do that with and i'm sitting here at the same time thinking yeah he's gotta have pocket aces because he knows this guy has pocket fives and all kinds of sevens in his range. And he's showing crazy aggression now. He's not just calling you. He's now showing aggression. So I'm like, the only hand he can be doing it. Well, the only hand he can do it with is pocket aces or pocket fives. Because I don't think really think he has that many sevens in range. And between the two players, VIP guy definitely is the guy with the sevens in range. Anyway, VIP guy finally calls. calls and he goes, and he says... He goes, man, I know you got pocket aces, but I just couldn't fold my seven. And he turns over a seven something. I don't know what it was, like a seven, uh, seven, eight or something. And tag player just got, uh, he, you just see this look of defeat just fall over his face. And he's like, ugh. And uh, I don't know what the river was, some kind of blank or something. And the tag player says, you, you, you know you're good and he, and he just mucks his card so i don't know what he had i'm assuming he had an ace and while that doesn't exactly line up you know perfectly with the concepts we've talked been talking about uh, in last week's episode and this week's episode it it, it, it does kind of flop is definitely you have a range you have a hand Obviously, his range is strong because of pre-flop action and what he does now on the flop, but uh, um, also his hand. He obviously had an ace. Obviously, he had an ace. Had to be an ace. Probably was an ace-king. Ace-queen at worst. Felt like he's nutted against this whale, this VIP. And he fires big as he should because, again, you're balanced uh, you don't even have to be balanced again. You don't even really have to be balanced against this against this whale guy. You can be pretty exploitive, which is what this should turn into. <clears throat> again, we're talking all about bet sizes. It isn't always about balance. You know, last week we didn't talk all about balance. Balance was a big part of it, but it's all about what 
you know, you got to stop and think, what am what am I trying to accomplish with my bet size? If if you don't understand what it is you're trying to accomplish with your bet size, you're going to just wind up leaving money on the table so much of the time. So tag player is correct on the flop. You you have a guy who if he has anything, he's calling the flop because he just does. If he has any five, if he has any seven, if he has pocket fours, pocket sixes, pocket eights, pocket nines, pocket tens, pocket deuces, he's calling with all that stuff. The guy's just calling with all those hands. He just does. That's just how he plays. So put a big bet in and let's start extracting chips right off the bat. There's no need to get coy or check or be fancy. Let's just put some chips in because the guy's calling if he's got anything and if he has squadoosh, he's folding and it doesn't matter. And he gets called. But now the turn comes. And middle, middle pair, you know? Your middle card pairs up. So now you have ace, five, seven, seven. And you bet, again, you bet really large. Now, I wouldn't have bet large there. What did he call me with? Well, some of his range is uh, weaker aces, right? Clearly. VIP, some of his range is weaker aces. He has a six. He has ace eight. He has ace nine. He has ace ten or whatever. So there is a decent portion of his range that is that. But he also has all the sevens. And when I say all the sevens, I mean all of them. They don't have to be suited. I mean, this guy plays king seven, queen seven, jack seven, ten seven, nine seven, eight seven, seven six, seven five. Uh, you know, he may fold seven four, seven three, seven deuce. Maybe he folds those sevens. Um, he also has the pocket fives, and uh, it's just so much stuff in his range that you are now behind. That I think you still bet, but you, I don't think you come in for the pot. I think that that's a clearly a bad decision. Let's think about it from a balanced perspective and from a uh, maximally exploitive uh, position. Because I think lowering your bet size is important for both. Possibly for both. Let's say that in your balanced range, you had, you know, raised with the 8-7 suited. You know, so in your range is 8-7 suited. And you now have turned trips with the 7 if your opponent has an ace, and even though he's a VIP, and even though he's going to call a lot of bets, he's not dumb. As evidenced by how long he tanked with his seven in his hand. He does think a little bit. He's just not capable of folding that much. That's one of his big problems. Um, When the turn comes, and so you trip up with the sevens, you, let's say that that's the hand you have in your range uh, in the same situation. If you fire a pot-sized bet now, your opponent's like, whoa. Man, I could have a seven here. Uh, whew, what, that, that's strong when those, another seven comes. That's crazy. I start leaning towards, man, do I fold my ace-deuce here? Because, boy, he's betting really strong. 
Now he could have, you know, some sevens. I don't have one. My ace is really weak. He's betting really big. And I think VIP gets off the hook sometimes. On the other hand, when the seven comes, and now your range is, you know, you still have the ace kings, ace queens, big aces. Um, you have some pocket fives. Now you have now you have a hand like eight seven, and depending on where you're at, you know, possibly a nine seven suited. Um, you know, again, if it's from a if, again, if if the if the eight seven isn't in your range, which typically six and seven handed, a good balanced player. 8-7 suit. I'm opening under the gun 7-handed with 8-7 suited. So it's in my range always from any spot pretty much, depending on preflop action. Um, I really think your hand and your range are both incentivized to bet smaller here, not pot. You know, now I start moving down to maybe a more catch-all size, like half pot, 60% pot. For a couple reasons. One, if the sevens are in our range, um, takes away the fact he can have one. If he's got weaker aces and he's a thinking guy, we could have a seven. Maybe he's more apt to fold. We want to keep him in. And two, um, when our range does, you know, our range also includes a lot of hands that don't have sevens, but he could have the seven. We also want a bed smaller so that we keep the weakest portion of his ranges. And now we circle back to. A lot of what we talked about in last episode. And again, last episode better than this episode because I had a very well-structured um, set of uh, incentives that I wanted to talk about and I gave a ton of thought to. This one, a more broader conversational type topic episode. So again, I highly recommend you listen to last week's. But um, So we're now in this, uh, this, this incentive category to where you know, what's the incentive? What's the incentive of, of the hand is, is a question that you need to be asking. What's the incentive of the hand? The incentive of the hand is to be extracting value from all worse hands and not be punting off chips to better hands. And so now there definitely are better hands. When we have a, an opponent who has all the sevens in range, I don't say you, you don't check. I don't think you check. But I do think you bet, but I think now you go down to this smaller uh, range. It's good for the exact incentive of your hand, I think. And it's also uh, good, I think, for your range. That's just my opinion. Some GTO whiz expert will probably send me a message five minutes after this podcast hits and tell me how wrong I am. I'm fully willing to concede that I may be wrong. But from my perspective and how I play poker and and uh, from everything that I can understand about the incentives of your hand and your range, I just think this is a no-brainer down bet sum. So I'm looking at the 40% pot bet, maybe 50% catch-all type pot, pot bet because we can still keep all the weaker aces in the ace deuces, ace threes, uh, ace fours. Ace six, uh, ace eight. Um, I think anything higher, he probably keeps calling with no matter what, maybe. But a lot of those that may now fold, we keep in. And we also aren't putting off a ton of money when he's turned the seven. 
Also, I think he's more incentivized, more incentivized to get crazy when the bet size is lower in the middleish portion, a little bit lower, not not pot like we were doing when he has a seven to clap back, you know, to click it back. Um, if he's got you on the hook, now it didn't happen in this hand because obviously he clapped back, uh, tag bet about pot, and he bumped it back with a big raise. But he also can easily take the alternative. Like I got the I got the guy on the hook now. I've turned the seven. I'm not gonna let him know. I'm just gonna call because because he just put a lot of money in. I don't need to do something to get a lot of money, and he just put a lot of money in voluntarily. I just call. He still don't know what I have. He has to act first. I can get more money in on the river. So, um, I I think suddenly you have turned your advantage uh, upside down. You've flipped it. You, because your bet size. That's my opinion with the pot size bet there. Whereas you go 40% pot, you're still extracting value from all those aces. You're keeping even the weakest of aces in. You know, you're also, I think, still you're still keeping eights and nines in. You're keeping uh, what's left in there. Uh, sixes, you're keeping, I don't know about fours, but I think you might even keep sixes in. Maybe you just keep in so much of that crappy version uh, end of his range in when you on the turn. And you kind of have protected yourself against when he turned to seven, which is a lot of his range. And that's that's my opinion. I think you have to um, really understand, one, what's in your opponent's range, the incentive of your range, and the incentive of your exact hand. And so that's a real-life example. I was actually at the table with that hand last night. Myself and a player next to me, who's a pretty top-notch-ish player, were dumbfounded when he bet pot got raised by the VIP and decided to shove. I would have called. I got to tell you, I would have called and I would have checked river. And then I would have decided what to do on the river. Probably VIP shoves on the river. I have a tough decision. Uh, I think I would look at the you know, suits involved, um, exact uh, aspects of my hand with the boards, the cards on the board to uh, include or exclude certain amounts of bluffs. I would do some combo counting. And I'm not saying I always get away from it on the river, but I think I do get away from it more on the river for sure than I do just, just shoving on the turn. Because you could be literally shoving into the nuts. You don't have the nuts. You just have an ace. You have one pair. You have one pair on a board where this VIP could have houses and trips. A fair amount of those in his range. That's what you decided to shove into. And um, I think a final thought on this exact hand that I'm talking about is a lot of times you think because a player plays poorly that they're dumb. And I would definitely not call this player dumb. He's not dumb. He just plays poorly. And when he raises and you shove, he's not dumb. He knows that you're a tag player. He's played with you for four hours now. He knows you're a tag. 
Even if he doesn't spend any time studying poker, he sat at the table and watched you play. He knows you're tight. He now knows, as we saw when he debated calling your shove, he knows now the aces are in your range. He knows, even though he turned trips, holy crap, I might be behind. So what is he calling you with? When you shove, what is he calling you with? All those little aces go away. He's never calling you with the little aces anymore. He's never calling you with the sixes. Uh, he's never calling you with the, uh, I don't think, with the eights. I don't think he's calling you with the nines anymore. Heck, I don't think he's calling you with the tens, jacks, queens, or kings anymore. All those ands that he called the flop with and and would have probably called a 30-40% bet river with, have, all those go away. All those go away. Now, when you shove and he calls. You have funneled, and, and we talked about that again. I can't recommend enough that you, I think last week's podcast was better. But you have now funneled your opponent into only having a hand better than yours. You create the funnel with your bet sizing. You you determined the funnel. You determined how many hands get left in and how many hands get excluded. And when he shoved on that turn, boy, that funnel got super narrow. Super narrow. It was such a finely pointed tunnel now that only what hands are th- get through it now. When he shoves on you, what hands get through that funnel now? Ace-King, which I guess you have. Again, he didn't show his hand, but it had to be Ace-King or Ace-Queen. It just had to. There's just no other hand he does that with. So you block Ace-King, Ace-Queen. That's probably not what he has. Even if he does have it, you're chopping with him or losing. If you have Ace-Queen, he has Ace-King. But, you know, you funneled it to that. Not good. You funneled it to a hand with a seven in it. You funneled it into pocket fives. Uh, that's the end of the funnel. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing else left in the funnel. There's nothing else left in the funnel. When he raises and you shove, the only hands that's left in his funnel to call your shove with are hands that crush you. Again, as evidenced by how long it took him to call you, when he turned trips, he turned trips and tanked for a minute and a half. So, uh, none of that analysis, just by chance, in case somebody that I was in that game with is listening to this. I'm not calling anybody dumb in that hand. Um, I've gone out of my way to talk about how good each player was and their ups and downs and their positives. The uh, quote-unquote VIP, not a dumb guy. He's just not a well-studied poker player. But he's not dumb. He's just not dumb. And I think uh, this play, in my opinion, you were assuming he was a dumb guy when you made that shove. That he's going to call you with ace ten, you know, or he, you know, what is he going to call you with? What are you? It it made no sense. Just made no sense. And um, you, your bet sizes do a lot. I'm just going to recap this weekend, last week, in one little summation. Your bet sizes do a lot, and one of the things they do is determine the range of your opponent. And as I discussed last week, your bet size can't change the hand that your opponent has right now in this hand. You can't. He has the hand he has, and you can't change it. But if you find yourself in this spot a hundred times this year, 
an identical spot or a very, very similar spot, your bet sizing can shrink or broaden the funnel to keep a range of hands in that you are ahead of so that your bets are making profits. And your bet sizing can also shrink that funnel to where the bets that you're making are losing money because you have now funneled your opponent into only having hands that beat you. Or not only having hands that beat you, but you have skewed his range so much that he has way more hands that beat you than hands that lose to you. So, you're not just betting because you have an (laughs) ace-king. You don't just bet because the board comes ace-7-5 and you have ace-king. That's not the only reason you bet. You are betting to extract value. You're betting to keep your opponent in. You're, um... uh, I'm not covering it all again. There's numerous reasons that you bet. And when the turn pairs the board on a card that is super well in your opponent's range, you now have to manipulate the size of the funnel that you get action from. And you manipulate it with your action and your bet size. Um, one day I'm going to do a podcast on manipulating your opponent's range with checks. But basically, it's the same principle. A lot of times, depending on the opponent, when I have a really good hand but not a nutted hand, um, and I'm out of position, I will check to my opponent because they will put money in the pot with a worse hand than I have. So I would, you know, I wouldn't call my hand a bluff catcher. Because it's better than a bluff catcher. It's a good hand, but it's not a nutted hand. You know, it's a strong hand, but it's not a nutted hand. And, uh, you know, based on action and board texture, I know that my opponent can either have worse hands or bluffs that they can bet. And if I bet that river, I make all of those fold. But if I check that river, he keeps a lot of those in and bets back at me, and I make money from those. And so it's you manipulate... You manipulate what range your opponent has, and that's just another example of it. Um, So I'll probably do a podcast about that at some point, but just know that there's many reasons for bet sizing, and you need to try to think about as many of those reasons as you can. So the first time you try it, it's hard. The more time you practice it, it's easy. And I would tell you one of the best things you can do is use some kind of a simulation tool to help you with that. I love Poker Cruncher. It's a free app. You can put your hand in, you can create a range for an opponent, you can put a board out there, and you can run through how your opponent's range interacts with that board, which will help you decide what bet sizing you should do to manipulate that range. So I highly recommend that app. And I want to thank you so much for listening. Follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.